If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 15. That's where we're going to get to in just a few minutes. We have kind of started really last week, kind of set the trajectory for the next few weeks in that we're going to spend some time talking about unity. Uh, and, and we don't have like a set plan of this many weeks, but we know that's the direction that we want to go for at least a few weeks. And uh, the reason is, um, well, there's a, there's a few reasons. The first being that uh, before anything else, this is what the word calls us to, right? To be a united people, right? And to the best of our ability, we want to be a people. We want to be a church that is about the things that the word tells us we should be about. And so... Um, Right, the, the word says that the people of God, the church, should be a, a united people. Uh, we, we see that in the words of Jesus. Um, John 13, Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples uh, that they are to love one another, and that, and that their love for one another is how the world would, would know that they were his disciples. Um, later on, Jesus, he, he prays for his disciples. He prays for us. Right? Literally, John 17, he's, Longest recorded prayer of Jesus, he prays that his disciples, his followers, both in the first century and in the generations to come, that they would be one, perfectly one, is what Jesus says. And then throughout the New Testament, you see that theme kind of woven into various letters to the New Testament churches, the, that the church should be united, right? that uh, despite our differences, backgrounds, stories, experiences, that, that we are to be a, uh, a united people. And uh, even in those letters, you think of the different themes or the different images that, uh, that the word uses to kind of talk about the church or the people of God. There's, uh, we are a body. We are a building. Uh, we are a uh, family. Right? There's all these images that, that the word uses to talk about the people of God. They all have this idea of, of being connected, uh, of being Unified, right? Because bodies don't work if they're not united, right? Buildings don't stay up if they're not connected and, and on down the line. And so the, one, the, the, the main reason we want to talk about unity is because the word tells us we should be a united people, okay? And then to get into to some of the more practical things, uh, the, the second reason is just where we are as a church, right? I, I don't think it's any secret if you've been here for a few minutes, like, we're in a little bit of a transition just as a church. Right? We've got uh, a new, uh, kind of new lead pastor, an old new pastor. Not his age, he was here before. Uh, although today's his birthday, so if you see Scott this week, make sure you tell him happy birthday. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> we're in a season of transition, and that can be disorienting a little bit. And so we just wanted to start the year Start this sort of new season of ministry, just making sure we're all in the same place before we run, right? So, so that's another reason we're going to spend this time talking about unity. And then, uh, and then here's the kind of the third reason, is just that uh, when you look at what the Word calls us to be as a people, uh, we are to be, uh, we, we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, right? But we're to look different. And, and I don't, watch a lot of news or read a lot of news. You can, maybe you think more of me, maybe you think less of me, I'm not overly concerned. But what I know is that, uh, I know enough to know that, like you look out there, we live in a divided, polarized, divisive world. Right? Like, like everyone fights and argues about everything. And so I think, uh, like I'm not sure there's more 
of a countercultural way that we could live than to be a united people. Right? That despite uh, being of different backgrounds, different experiences, different stories, different, I mean, you name it. We're, we, I just don't think there's a more powerful evidence uh, for the, really for the power of the gospel than that we be a, a people from all these different walks of life and yet we're united around one thing, the most important thing, right? United in Jesus Christ. And so uh, those are some of the reasons why we're talking about unity. Uh, but, but here's kind of the direction for today, the, the springboard that'll get us going, is that uh, b- before we are united in Christ, right, we've got to first be united to Christ. Right, before, we, before we're, like if we have any shot of being a people that are united to one another in Christ, we've got to start by being united to Christ. And that brings us to, <clears throat> excuse me, the text this morning, John 15. Um, for context, this is part of the upper room discourse. If that means nothing to you, that's fine. Uh, this is just some of Jesus' last words to his disciples uh, before his arrest and crucifixion. All right, and so I, I don't know if you watch a lot of movies, but usually like right before someone's about to leave or exit or die, like they save their most profound words right at the end, right? Yeah. right? And so this is kind of what we see in Jesus. He uh, John 13 through 17, he, he knows what awaits him. And so he gathers his disciples and he, uh, he, what the uproom discourse is, is him instructing them on things that, that I would imagine in his mind are really important. And so he talks about the importance of humility among them and uh, how they should serve one another. Um, and he gives them the example of that as he washes their feet. Right? And then he, he goes on from there and he talks about... Um, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's going to come and show up in his absence. And, um, and, and he talks about, about that, how they should rely and depend on the Holy Spirit who's going to lead them and guide them and comfort them. And then uh, here in John 15, what he talks about is uh, he, he brings us this image of a vine and some branches. And so let's, let's read it together. John 1, I'm sorry, John 15, starting in verse 1. We'll read the first 11 verses. These are Jesus' words. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so, I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
So to kind of frame the illustration here, uh, you, Jesus introduces this. You've got three sort of three parties or three people at play. Right? You've got um, the vine dresser, which is God, God the Father. You've got Jesus, who is the vine. And then you've got his followers, who are the branches. Again, that's context as first century disciples, but, but that also applies to us, right? On down the line, generations later, we are, uh, we are the branches that, that should be bearing fruit. It's kind of the point of the passage, that the branches should bear fruit. And so maybe the, the best starting point for us is just to say, okay, what is this fruit? Right? If we're supposed to bear fruit, it's probably important that we know what kind of fruit we're supposed to bear. And so, um, some would say that the fruit that we're supposed to bear is like ministry effectiveness. And what I mean by that is uh, the fruit that we should bear is uh, seeing people come to uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, seeing people uh, discipled and, and sanctified, and us like working to see that happen. Okay, so there's one idea of fruit, one category, just think sort of ministry effectiveness. The other category that some would say is that this fruit that we bear should be like growth in uh, Christian character, right? Just so, for an example, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, if you're familiar with that, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I probably missed one or two in there, but uh, some would say that's the fruit that we're supposed to grow in, right? Christian character and, and conduct. And so um, the, the question we ask is, well, what, like, what is the fruit that we're supposed to bear? Is it ministry effectiveness? Is it growth in, in Christian character and conduct? And I would say that the answer is yes. Right? Like all of it. C. All of the above. I was taught in school, if you don't know the answer, just answer C. Okay? Um, all of the above. Like we should grow in all of those things. Right? This is how, like, like we should, like, here, here's what I want you to see. Bearing fruit. This is kind of be a baseline for us this morning. Berry fruit. Berry fruit. <laughs> Berries are a fruit. Um, bearing fruit is simply the growing in the fullness of what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? Bearing fruit is simply growing into the fullness of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that looks like a lot of inward transformation. Those things that I just riddled off from uh, rattled off from Paul, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like we should grow in those things, right? Ideally, as we're uh, following Jesus, we want to be conformed into his image. And right, that's what that means to grow in those things. But, but that also leads to, hopefully, as we grow in those things, right? As, as we grow further and further, like mature into uh, more and more Christian character, that results in Sort of the, the ministry effectiveness side, right? Seeing, right, evangelizing, seeing people come to know Jesus, right? going out of our way to, to help equip and train and, and grow people in their faith, right? Serving others. And so, so yes, this is what fruit is. It's, it's both. It's not either or, it's both and. Uh, but, but the non-negotiable right out of the gate is that branches, we, as the branches, should be bearing fruit. Right? Look at verse Two, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so first you've got a warning. 
Pretty stern warning. That branches that do not bear fruit will be cut off, removed, thrown away. Right, now that's been interpreted a gazillion different ways. Again, here's what I know. No matter how you interpret that, it's not good. Okay? Right? So there's the warning. Right? Here's uh, the second thing, though. There's, a, there's also a guarantee. And the guarantee is that any branch that does bear fruit, the vine dresser, God, is going to come along and he's going to prune that branch so that it bears more fruit. Because the goal is that we would bear fruit. All right, now, that can be a little disorienting, though. When you think about, uh, okay, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm bearing fruit, and then God comes along and he's like, all right, let's start snipping. All right, that can be a little, little confusing, right? That, that God the Father purposely prunes or, or cuts back the branches that are already bearing fruit so that they would bear more fruit. I know that, like, that could be a sermon in and of itself, right? God's pruning in our lives. But uh, here's just what I'll say and then we'll move on is that God's greatest goal is his glory. Right? God's greatest, I'm going to love you enough to tell you, God's greatest goal is not your happiness. God's greatest goal is not your ease and comfort in life. God's greatest goal is his glory. And if you look at verse 8, right, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when we produce and bear fruit. And so if it takes some pruning, if it takes some cutting for us to bear more fruit for God's greater glory, then he will not hesitate to break out the pruning shears. All right? So with that said, so we know we should bear fruit, but how do we actually do that? Right? Because it's one thing to know like, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I should be bearing fruit. It's another thing to actually like see fruit grow in your life, right? So, so how do we do that? Um, look at verses four through six again. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If, are you, if you write in your Bibles, I would just underline that, circle it, whatever you got to do to remember it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Right, so, so here in these few verses, there's a word we're introduced to. Uh, it's important, right? By my count, this one word appears 10 times in the span of these 11 verses. And you probably picked up on it already. The word abide, right? Abide, right? Safe to say it's probably important if it's repeated over and over and over again. And, and abide is not a word that we use very much in uh, contemporary English language. At least I can tell you the Larkin family doesn't use that word very much. Uh, but here's... Here's kind of what it means. It's to remain, right? To, to remain, to, uh, to, in fact, I think NIV, some of the other translations, they use the word remain. It's to uh, remain, stay connected, just kind of like linger in one spot, right? It, it's, it's to continue in a specific place with, uh, with a real reluctance to go anywhere, 
Right? That's what we're kind of getting at when we talk about the word abide. And so, illustration, um, to kind of get to the heart of it, uh, some of you guys, do you, maybe you have people in your life that like, if they show up, like, you know you're going to have a hard time getting rid of them. Right? Anybody, show of hands, anybody have any people like, or maybe it's somebody at your, your <laughs> T-Roy back there is like, it's me, I'm that person. Okay? Uh, right? It's, like you, if, you, if you have a work or, or an office or a cubicle, you know, like that person that stops by and for something real quick and then 30 minutes later, they're still there, right? Or, or uh, uh, my personal pet peeve is like when my phone rings and it's someone that like I know if I answer this, like 40 minutes, I'm not getting off the phone for another 40, 45 minutes, right? And so like we... we like, most of us kind of know those people. If you don't know that person, maybe you are that person. I don't, you know, maybe, I don't know. Um, my wife would probably say, I'm that person. Um, but the point is, like, it's just, like, the people, they just remain. Like, they just don't go anywhere. They just stay. Right? And that's, that's the heart of, of what's happening here. It talks about abiding. It's this persistence and determination to just stay to not go anywhere else. And, and according to Jesus, this abiding or remaining or staying or lingering, like that's the source of fruit in our lives. All right now, like, like abiding in, staying connected to Jesus, like that's, that's how we bear fruit. Right now that doesn't make a lot of sense for us in the kind of the world we live in. Right? We... Uh, we, we live in the age of self-help. So like you tell me, all I got to do is just abide and remain and stay and like fruit's going to grow. Like, I mean, give me some steps, right? Like give me, uh, like, like we, when we find an area in our lives where like I need to grow in this area or I need to, uh, to be better in this area, usually what, what happens is uh, we pull up the Google machine, like how to be a better dad, how to be a better husband, how to quit sinning in this way, Right? And so usually what happens is we get a whole list of books or articles that are like uh, really pragmatic, you know, like uh, how to fix my broken marriage, uh, seven easy steps to overcome sin and temptation. Uh, my, the one that makes me roll my eyes the most is like how to grow your church in 90 days, okay? And so like, like we love that stuff because it gives us like follow step one, follow step two, follow step three, and then I get the results I'm looking for, right? And but I just think what we, we see here um, is that, that underneath all of that, those searches for I need, I need steps to get the results that I want, or maybe we sanctify the little steps to get the result that God wants. Right, what we see underneath that, that search is really the, the, this question, how do I bear fruit? And Jesus says in John 15, like he's already answered the question, how do you bear fruit? By abiding in Christ. Right? That's how you grow. That's how you make progress. By abiding, by remaining, by staying connected to Jesus. All right, and let me, another illustration. So, um, my yard desperately needs some landscaping help. Okay? I despise landscaping and painting and cats, but those are not for this morning. That's, that's not related to this, okay? I'm sorry, I just offended somebody, I'm sorry. 
Um, I just threw myself off. Anyways, here, here's my point. Like there are, there are plenty of brush, like branches and just some stuff that really needs to be addressed in the fence row in my backyard. Uh, and and if, if I get highly motivated one day before spring, uh, which is also highly unlikely, I'll go out and I'll cut some of those branches off. Uh, but but let's, let's, in theory, say that I do that. Right? Sometime in the next couple of weeks, I go out, just trim off those branches, and instead of doing anything with them, I just leave them laying in the yard. Okay? And then fast forward a couple of months, and then the, uh, the weather starts to get warmer, right? and all God's people said amen. Right? And the, the, the trees and the flowers start to bloom, and fruit starts to bear, and like, your allergies go haywire, so you're popping Claritin and Zyrtec like candy. Right? And you look outside, and, and all these other shrubs and stuff in my yard are starting to bloom and flower and, and blossom. Uh, you, you know what's not going to be blossoming. You know what's not going to be producing fruit. Those branches that are laying in the yard. Because they're not connected to the source that helps them bear fruit. Right? In, the, in the same way, right, you and I like, will not bear fruit fruit apart from being connected to the source. There is no DIYing the Christian life. Right? Like you, you don't become a, I mean, look at what Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? And remember, Jesus is talking to his his followers here. This is not like Jesus looking at people that don't know him or love him or believe in him and saying like, you guys are hopeless without me. I mean, they are hopeless without Jesus, but that's not the context here. He's talking to his followers and he says, you can do nothing apart from me. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we will never do anything of eternal significance if we're disconnected from or failing to abide in the source of fruit. You will not bear fruit. You will not grow. You will not make progress by just kind of turning inward, digging a little deeper, finding something like special down inside yourself to pull yourself up by your own boot, bootstraps and, and produce fruit. Like that's, that's not how it happens because I mean, you are not the source of fruitfulness. Right? It, it, it's not down within you somewhere. Right? It's Christ in you. Right? You are a branch. and Any fruit that you bear is the result of you abiding in, remaining in, staying connected to Jesus, who is the source of fruit. He is the vine. Now, to keep the pendulum from swinging too far, right, Am I saying you just kind of sit back and do nothing and just kind of loiter and lay around and wait for Jesus to produce some fruit? Well, no. All right, let me show you, try to show you what I mean from verse 7. All right, verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now on the surface, this sounds like uh, Jesus has positioned himself as a genie. Right? As long as you abide in me, and you, you rub the lamp, and I'll pop out and give you a, I'll grant any, any wish you've got. Right? That's what it looks like at a surface level. But um, and that's, there's something underneath this 
this verse, un- underneath this teaching of Jesus that, that makes the statement true. And, uh, and, and here's kind of the overarching idea, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It's that abiding in Christ means being conformed to Christ. Right? Abiding in Christ means being conformed to Christ. Uh, the longer you abide, the longer you remain, the longer you stay connected to uh, someone, right, the more that your desires are con- conformed to, to align with theirs. And so again, real world example. Um, when I was a bachelor, I gave zero thought to the way my kitchen looked. Right, just wasn't even on my radar. Right, if anything, I'd leave food out on the counter for a while. You know, that way if I wanted to eat it on the way back through the kitchen later in the day, I could just grab it and it was there ready for me. Right? And so, uh, then, then what happened is uh, I convinced somehow this beautiful woman to marry me. Okay? Uh, and, and not only is she beautiful and amazing and godly, she can't sleep at night if her kitchen is dirty. Okay? Um, and so, what I have found, the longer we've been together, right, a little over 10 years now, what I have found is, is there are nights where, like, I don't, I don't even, it's like I'm just having, like, an out-of-body experience, and I would find myself, like, doing the dishes after supper, and I'm just like, how did I get here? Right? From, from like, going, like, days, maybe weeks without cleaning my kitchen to, like, at night, now, now, to be fair, I don't do it as much as she would like, okay? And I just, rem- I just try to remind her, like, babe, sanctification is a slow process. Right? I will get there one day, okay? Right, but, but, like, what's crazy is, like, the longer I've been with her, the longer I've abided with her, remained connected to her, like, my desires have changed. The, the way that I live has changed. And it wasn't like me making a conscious effort to do it. It just happened, Right? And I'm convinced on the flip side that the longer she abides and remains connected to me, she is going to develop a refined taste for pickled bologna and old country music. Right? That's why I'm, I'm counting on. Right? But my, my point is, is, is this. Okay, I'm off the rails. Uh, if you're new here, that happens often. Okay, the, the point is not just here in this verse. The point is not that you just get what you want. The point is that the longer you uh, abide in Christ, uh, your desires like, become aligned and conformed to His. Right? So that what you ask for is not just what you want, it's actually what Christ wants for you. And here's where that connects with, with how we live and bear fruit, right? Uh, is that as you abide in Christ, His desires become yours. His will becomes your will. Right? And, and that, as that process continues, called sanctification, like you begin to increasingly live as Christ desires for you to live. Right? It just happens. Like, like, as you abide, as you remain, as you stay, like eventually you look down. You do that long enough. Eventually you look down and you realize, like, oh my goodness, there's some fruit on the branches. Right? Probably not because you ever made a conscious effort to start doing this or stop doing this, but it's the longer that you abided in Christ, some fruit started to grow. 
Like maybe you used to be really angry and you would just snap at the smallest thing. And the longer you abide in Christ, you see, man, I'm, I'm not, not perfect by any means, but like I'm a, I'm a little more patient than I used to be. I'm a little more gentle than I used to be. Right? Or, or maybe, uh, and maybe you used to be just constantly anxious about everything. The longer you abide in Christ, over time you realize like, yeah, you still got some things that you got to surrender to the Lord and say like, I need your help. I'm anxious about this. But maybe you start to see some peace and, and feel some peace in some of these areas that used to, there was no peace. Right? Maybe it's you used to give zero thought to the spiritual condition of your coworkers or your neighbors. Right? And as you've abided in Christ, now all of a sudden you're like actually starting to think through how do I, how do I engage them in a spiritual conversation that's not really awkward? Right? That's, that's fruit. Right? And, and hopefully it continues to grow, but, but that's what happens. As we abide in the source of fruitfulness, fruit just starts to grow because our desires, the longer we abide, right, His desires become our desires. Right? That's how growth works. That's how fruit is, is uh, grown right? as we abide in Christ. Now, moving on. Let's, I mentioned verse 8 earlier. Let's jump down to verse 9 and 10. Which says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my Father, or if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so there's a, a transition that happens here. First eight verses is Jesus is like, hey, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And then here he gets really specific and he says, abide in my love. Right? From there he's going to go on and he connects abiding in his love to keeping the commandments. It's a thing he'd go on to actually talk a lot about in the book of 1 John, which he also wrote. Uh, but what I want to draw your attention to this morning is, is specifically God's love, well, more specifically, Jesus' love for you. Because that's what Jesus says, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus equates his love for his followers, you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus equates his love for his followers to God's love for him. Now that's, we can read over that and skim over that. Like that is profound. That Jesus would look at these men around him and, and, and by extension look at us and say, hey, as God has loved me, and that's how I love you. Now think about how God the Father loved God the Son. Right? Perfectly. Because that's who God is, right? He is loved and He is perfect. Completely. Fully. Unwaveringly. Right? God the Father is the same God who looked at God the Son. Jesus said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Right? And... and that's the kind of love that Jesus says he has for you as a follower. My question is, do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe 
that Jesus loves you the way that God loves him. Because, and, and I don't mean like you believe it because that's just what you're supposed to believe. Right? Jesus loves you, this you know, because the Bible tells you so. I mean like in the depths of your soul, like do you really believe that Jesus loves you? Because I'm gonna tell you it, from my own life, my own experience, and then 10 plus years in ministry, here's what I think. I think we say that Jesus loves us and like we intellectually, we know that we're supposed to believe that Jesus loves us. But if you could dissect our hearts and kind of look at what's going on inside, what you'd see is some of us really kind of have some doubts. Like some of us, when we think Jesus loves me, it's, well, he tolerates me. He puts up with me. Thank goodness. Right, like that's what we think of when we hear of of Jesus' love, like that he just kind of patiently tolerates us because uh, his dad told him he had to. Like that's what we equate Jesus' love to sometimes. Right? And, and if, we, if we function out of that concept of love, then, then what we do is we, uh, we look at obedience. What we look at obedience as is it becomes this thing that I have to do, keep doing, in order for Jesus to keep on loving me. And again, by loving, we mean tolerating, putting up with, enduring. Right? We see obedience as nothing more than an attempt to earn more of his love. Right? If, we, if we do a better job, then maybe he'll love us a little longer, tolerate us a little longer, put up with us a little longer. But, but notice, when Jesus says, like, hey, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That comes before he says anything about commandments or obedience. And that's not because obedience is not important. It is. It's really important. But what obedience is, is it, it's an overflow. Like we don't obey to earn more of Christ's love for us. We obey because we realize, I mean, Jesus loves me in ways that I can never fully comprehend. I want to obey. I want to serve him. I want to live according to his plans and purposes for my life because I know he loves me. And he doesn't want anything for me that's going to be bad for me. And I, love, um, I love Paul's words at the end of Ephesians 3. Uh, it's like most of Paul's sentences, it's a really long run-on sentence, so it's kind of hard to know exactly where to jump in. Uh, but this is what Paul says in, in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 17. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And when you catch this, like this phrase doesn't make sense, really. I shouldn't say that about the Bible, but let me, I'll explain in a minute. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think about what Paul just said. He says, hey, I want you to know. I want you to wrap your head around the vastness, the depth, the riches of his love for you. And also, that surpasses knowledge, so you'll never actually wrap your head around it. 
Isn't that crazy? That this is what Paul calls us to, to, to rest in this love that Jesus has for his people, to grow in our knowledge of it. And this is what it is to, to abide in Christ. It's, it's Jesus saying, like, hey, abide in my love. You'll never fully understand it. But I want you to, to abide in me and spend the rest of your life trying to get to the bottom of it. Right? And, and, and you just won't until one day you stand before him in glory and you're like, how? How did you love me that much? Right. So winding down, let me let Jesus' words kind of bring us towards the conclusion. Here's what he says in verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and listen to this, and that your joy may be full. Like the end result, here's, Jesus gets to the end, the end result of abiding in Christ is joy. And, and who doesn't want more joy? And I've just never met the person that's just like, you know what? I think I've got enough joy. I don't think I need any more. Jesus says that fullness of joy is found as we abide in him. And isn't that what we're all after? More joy? That's the reason you spend money on the things you spend money on? It's the reason you spend your time doing the things that you spend your time doing? Because you chase that down to the end of that, uh, end of that rope, what you'll find is really you're, you're looking for more joy. And, and here... Like our prone to wander hearts search for joy in a million other places. And Jesus says, hey, full joy is right here. You abide in me. You abide in my love. That's where joy is found. Like, like Jesus is not some sort of cosmic killjoy that just wants to uh, like conform you, like steal your joy by conforming you into his image, and then just imposing his will on you. I mean, he'll, he'll do that. Right? He will conform you into his image, and he will impose his will on you, but it's, it's there that you'll actually find the joy that your soul longs for. Right? You, you, won't, you won't find it anywhere else. Right? Jesus is not a cosmic kill. It's quite the opposite. He's told you exactly where to go to find the kind of joy that your heart longs for. And it won't be in uh, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Right? It won't be in the temporary pleasures of this world. Right? It's in and through, abiding in, remaining in, staying connected to the vine. Right? That's where true joy is found, abiding in Jesus. And so here's, here's my question for you. Well, Ask the question, give you a couple of prompts, and then we'll, we'll uh, set her down. All right, here's the question. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? And so the starting point for that is, uh, is just, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And because and if, if you've never come to a point where you've acknowledged your sinfulness or you've become aware of your separation from God, you've become aware of your need for a Savior, 
if you never cried out to Jesus to forgive you for your sin and to reconcile you to God, then, then you're not abiding in Christ. And the reason is because you, you've never been connected to the vine. So if you're here this morning, you've never done that. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, for the hope and promise of eternal life. That's, that's where you begin this morning. And we'd love to talk to you more about that, either here in just a moment after I pray or in, in the lobby after church today, or we can get together over coffee this week or lunch, whatever you want to do. We'd love to tell you more about what it means to be connected to Jesus. But for those of you that are Christians, for those of you that you've been doing this thing for a while, um, to, to use the imagery, those of you that already have been sort of grafted into the vine by the vine dresser, right? are you abiding? Are you truly abiding? Right? Let me give you a couple of prompts to kind of help you think through that. Are you trying to produce fruit on your own strength in your own power, by your own abilities, or are you trusting and believing by faith that the longer you linger and stay and remain uh, abiding in Jesus, that he will produce fruit? Here's another one. Is, Is there evidence in your life that Jesus is conforming your desires to match his? Right? Do you love the same things that Jesus loves? Do you love the word? Jesus loved the word. Is there a, I'm not asking like, do you know it all? Can you explain? I'm just like, is there an increased desire in, in your heart to know more of the word and to live in greater obedience to it? Do you, and do you love communing with God through prayer? Again, I'm not asking if you're a great prayer or, Right? I mean, I don't, I've, again, I've never met the person that's just like, my prayer life could not be any better. It is amazing. Just never met that person. But is there a desire to commune with God increasingly through, through prayer? Right, here's one. Talk about things that Jesus loves. Do you love the church? Right, because Jesus had a lot to say about his love for the church. And so if you're being conformed, your, your desires are being conformed to match Jesus' desires. I mean, Jesus had a love for the church. Do you have a growing love for the church? Or is it just kind of like an add-on over here, you'll get to it when you have the time? All right? I'll ask you some more. All right, is your motivation for obedience an attempt to earn more of Jesus' love? Or is it a response to this growing understanding of, of the depths of his love for you? Right, how, do you how do you look at obedience? Right, and, then, and then the last question is, do you really believe? Like, in the depths of your guts, do you really believe that Jesus loves you? Despite your sin, despite your flaws, Despite your failures, despite your shortcomings, do you really believe that Jesus loves you just as God the Father loved him? Or, like, do you just 
think he's kind of tolerating you. Right, how, do you how do you view Jesus' love of you? So let me finish with this, right? Abiding in Christ is the way to greater fruitfulness. Right? Abiding in Christ is the way to greater unity amongst ourselves. Abiding in Christ results in God's greater glory. And that's what he said. And then here's the last thing. Abiding in Christ results in your joy. So are you abiding in Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning. We are grateful for these promises uh, that we read about in your word. Father, I pray that you would... um, Lord, help us in this moment to, to really assess. Lord, help us by your spirit to assess. Are we, are we abiding? Are we resting in the good news of what you've done for us? The resting in the promises of what you will accomplish in us and through us is so long as we, we stay connected to you. So Father, however that looks among the hearts and lives of these men and women this morning, I trust that you know that. Maybe there's some here this morning that have never placed their faith in Christ. They've never been connected to the vine. I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning and that, um, Father, they would respond by, by crying out to you, asking you to save them from their sins. And I pray that you would give them the, the courage and the boldness to, to begin that conversation, whether it's with, with someone sitting around them or, or with myself or or that they might know that they are connected to the source of life. And Father, for many others in this room, I pray that you would just help us to understand how we, how are we abiding? Are we kind of relying on our own strength and our own power and our own ability and our own gifts? Or are we, uh, are we just trusting that as we lean in and linger and stay connected to you, that you will... Lord, fulfill your promise to to produce fruit in our lives. And Father, I even pray for the person here this morning that maybe they're striving to stay connected. Maybe they're, um, they they want to abide, but they're just looking at their life and they're just like, they don't see a lot of fruit. Maybe they're just overwhelmed, kind of discouraged by their lack of growth or their, their, uh, constant struggle and battle with sin and, and I pray Father that you would um, just sort of impress upon their hearts this morning that that fruit doesn't grow overnight that, that real growth takes time sanctification is a process and I pray that you would help them to, to keep abiding to keep remaining to stay connected not to run off and chase the fleeting pleasures of this world hoping that they'll find joy there pray that you would remind them that joy is found in abiding in you. So Father, however you want to work in our hearts and our lives this morning, we trust that you'll do that. So Father, we ask this in Jesus' good name.